Isaiah chapter 7, we're not going to read all of the scriptures that are on the, the screen today, but we're going to introduce to you, uh, and as you know, most of the messages that are on the webcast are, are done here. Uh, let me take care of some business. Brian, you will need my keys out of my coat pocket. Uh, <laughs> uh, most of the we- uh, webcasts are done here. We take them off this site. And so um, we're going to, I'm going to introduce to you, I know it's an odd time of year with everything going on, but it'll all fit. You'll see how it fits. And uh, to launch us into the new year, uh, we are planning at least two merge services in January right now. I'm looking at two dates. And uh, we have one on the 20th of this month, next Sunday, and then into the next year. It's going to be a lot of stuff that we're doing, and I want to kind of set the pace and kind of begin a teaching, not necessarily a preaching, but a teaching on the area of truth and reality and moving toward really revealing Jesus Christ to our lives. So let's begin with Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign, and behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Go over to Isaiah 9, beginning with verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light, and those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Down to verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, everybody say judgment, and justice. From that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform it. Now jump ahead to a really different book for some of you, into the book of Ezekiel. How many of you have ever read the book of Ezekiel? Ezekiel is where Star Trek originally was created. And there's so much heavenly talk and spiritual explanation that goes on in Ezekiel that a lot of times people miss it. And I don't, I, I, that's where I've been in my reading and my devotion lately is in Ezekiel. So uh, here we go. Ezekiel chapter 33, beginning with verse 30. As for you, son of man, the children of your people are talking about you beside the walls and in the doors of the houses. And they speak to one another, everyone saying to his brother, please come and hear what the word is, what the word is that comes from the Lord. So they're good church members. They're inviting their neighbors and their friends to come hear what the prophet Ezekiel has to say. So they come to you as people do, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For with their mouth they show much love, but with their hearts they pursue their own gain. Indeed, you are to them as the very lovely song of one who has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. For they hear your words, but they do not 
do them. And when this comes to pass, and surely it will come, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. Let's keep reading. Malachi. I guess we will read them all today. Malachi. How many of you have never seen this in your Bible before? There's, some of you are opening pages that are still stuck together. So, Malachi chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly... Everybody say suddenly. Oh, come on. Suddenly. Come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant, by whom, in whom you delight. <clears throat> Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he's like a refiner's fire and like a launderer's soap. If you don't understand what a la- that, when it talks about launderer's soap, what's, you know, there's a little bar of soap you can get. Uh, what's it called? It's, it's Fells naphtha or something. How many of you know what I'm talking about? That stuff you put on any stain, and if it doesn't eat your clothes, it will take the stain. <laughs> that's launderer soap. It's not the sissy stuff we got today, but that's the real stuff. That's, uh, you know, that's the kind of stuff my grandmother used to use on the washboard. I mean, that's how far back I go as far as understanding that. And uh, that's what a launderer soap is. A launderer soap doesn't fluff things up. A launderer's soap takes away the deep embedded stains. And he will sit as a refiner fire and a purifier of silver and he will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Luke chapter 2. Go, man, this is a lot of scripture. Well, we want to establish a base for the word in the coming year and where we're at right now in this season. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Every time I read this, I always think of the uh, Peanuts cartoon, the, you know, the, the Christmas thing and Linus quoting it. Uh, with his blanket. Anyway, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Galatians chapter 4. Now see, you're in the New Testament now, so keep going this way. Until you get to Galatians chapter 4. I'm not hearing a lot of pages rustle, so I better hear the beeps of electronic Bibles going on. Galatians chapter 4. You know, I have, I had, they, I was, it was forced upon me some new technology. So by the way, if you get texts or phone calls from me randomly, it's not my fault. I have no idea what to do with this new technology, this touch screen phones and stuff. But it had a Bible on it. I still can't read the thing. I've got to be able to touch it. I just, I'm not a computer Bible guy. I just like to touch it. Uh, I'm a touch guy. Uh, Galatians 4.4, 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Revelation chapter 1. Wow, a lot of scripture. Yep. 
It's kind of why you should come together is to hear the word of the Lord. Kind of a funny thing. Uh, Revelation 1.8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now I want you to go to Revelation 19. By the way, I trimmed this down. I trimmed this scripture reading down because I literally, as I went through this study, had hundreds of scriptures. It's an amazing. Revelation 19 beginning with verse 9. Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. How many of you know that in heaven right now there is an invitation with your name on it to the marriage supper of the Lamb? These are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, See that you do not do that. I am your fellow servant. And of your brethren who have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. And by the way, this is a great scripture that I use to help people understand because I believe it is a fact that is going to occur in the last days that the church is going to be beginning to have angelic visitations. I think you're going to, it's going to become almost a common occurrence as the Spirit of God moves upon the earth and God begins to do things. But you must learn the, to distinguish between the angelic and the, the Almighty. We do not worship angels. We worship God. And the angel here was very clear. I, I, if, if I'm you, and I'm teaching this to you, if I'm you and, uh, you know, somebody's telling you and always talking about angels and how, you know, they're moving in and out with angels and everything, be cautious at that point. Now, I've, seen, I've talked with the real deal. I, when I was a very, very young pastor, just 20 years of age, I had the opportunity and later spoke in the church in, in Boise, Idaho, but I had the opportunity of meeting Roland Buck personally and spending time with him. And the guy was the real deal and later spoke there at Central Assembly after, uh, years later. But here's the deal. Whenever you heard him talk about angels, you also heard him talk a lot about Jesus. I think you need to be very, very wise with that. Verse 11, Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with the robe, dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, uh, by the way, that's you, I just thought I'd let you know, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, and that with it he should strike the nations. Are you reading the verbiage here? This is not baby Jesus. This is not the Lord is our shepherd. This is not the little picture of Jesus with his staff carrying the lamb or the picture on the beach with footprints and your footprints are in them. This is not him. This Jesus has a sword strapped on, one's coming out of his mouth, and he's using the sword. What is he doing? It says, to strike the nations. And he himself will rule with love and grace and niceness. 
not what it says. With a rod of iron, he himself treads the winepress. And here, listen, watch the verbiage of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and in his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I want to begin this morning a series of messages in the middle of Christmas time, but I couldn't think of a better time to start it. And moving into next year, it's called Sentimental Journey. How real is your reality of Jesus? How many of you have now watched more than one Hallmark Christmas? See, I want those of you who are raising your hands to stand. We're going to anoint you with oil and begin to cast out those things that have entered into you. The word sentimental. The word sentimental means marked or governed by feeling, sensibility, or emotional idealism. And we're in the season of sentimentality. You see it all around us. People doing nice things for other people, not quite sure why they're doing nice things, but they do nice things, or at least they think about doing nice things for people. And, you know, and, and, and like last night, waiting to go to a, we, we had a deal at the Newton's house last night for their 40th wedding anniversary. So as I'm waiting, my wife has the Hallmark Channel, the TV is stuck there. And uh, and so there's this couple who had lost their son in the war. And the dad picks up a hitchhiker who happens to know all their secrets. And blah, 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 blah. And there's tears. And oh, he magically fixes the star that goes back on the top of the tree. And we didn't know where the parts were. I mean, I, I keep telling her, I'm, I'm laying on the bed watching this going, Creepy! Major creepy, <clears throat> you know, t- and he was in the, tell us, did you know our son? And he starts making up all this stuff and you're going creepy. I see demons on Hallmark Channel. Sentimentality resulting from feeling rather than reason or thought. An attitude, thought, or judgment predetermined by feeling. What that means is you have feelings and you make a judgment or have an attitude not based on reason or thought or truth, but you make it based on a feeling. Uh, Friday I went to a, a luncheon and, uh, you know, they were serving lunch and, 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 and there was some nice potatoes and some some. Really good pork. Love pork. Pigs are good. And uh, and then there was this pan of yuck because in it was Brussels sprouts. <laughs> now, I can tell you that Brussels sprouts have all the nutrients and ingredients and all the good stuff that are supposed to be in something green. And the person next to me I goes, Matt Moltz trying to tell me, oh man, they're really good, man. They're, they're just, you, you got to try the, Cody goes, man, you got to try the sauce. I'm going, those are Brussels sprouts. There are no sauces that can make the stench of those things go away. I said, I, it doesn't matter. Well, but there's bacon and all that. I said, why did you ruin the bacon? <laughs> now see, that is not based on reason 
or thought processes. That's based on a feeling. You know, if you ever had those slimy things in your mouth, there's a feeling. It's called slimy. It is gross. My dad always, my dad was in agreement with me on that. And he always, when mom or my grandmother, either one would make Brussels sprouts, he'd walk in this kitchen and he'd go, whoa, who's boiling my old socks? And uh, because, and see, but see, to me, texture is everything. Feeling is everything. And so thought and reason on food doesn't necessarily, if it's the consistency of jello, I like it. If it's pudding, I like it. If it has steak flavor to it, I like it. But if it's slimy and green, not happening. Based on a feeling. Predilection. It's an attitude of mind that predisposes one to favor something. You have this thing in you that you automatically favor certain things. There's some of you in here, you favor chocolate. Some of you favor vanilla. And so when you go to buy things, you have a predilection. You're predisposed to buy either something chocolate or something vanilla based on your taste. Right? Some of you like chicken, some of you like beef, some of you like fish, some of us like all of the above and uh, like it in barbecue sauce with bones and all that kind of stuff, but that we have a predisposed... I know people, we got people on the south side, maybe there's some of you here, that won't eat any meat on a bone. And I go, what, are you, are you sick? Oh no, I can't stand meat on the bone, it's gross. It's like chewing on somebody's leg. And so... Uh, oh. Yeah, he's messing it up. And, uh, and so, so here's the deal. You're predisposed to like certain things based not on reason and thought. I, I, I remember when we were ministering to Arabic-speaking people, and we'd, we'd dine with them a lot, and uh, one of their favorite foods was bone marrow. Yeah, and you're kind of going, wow, now that's a new, new take. But see, they were predisposed to like certain things. It's an emotion, a romantic or nostalgic feeling. How many gals in this room have the movie in your movie collection called Sense and Sensibility? If I see one guy raise your hand, you're in big trouble. Guys, do not watch Sense and Sensibility or Pride and Prejudice. Guys, do not watch that. I can honestly say I have not watched that because it brings a funny flavor in my mouth. I get it. It's like seasickness. It doesn't work for me. But see, you know what? I have a wife and three daughters and two granddaughters and Ellie doesn't know yet, but probably Ellie will be messed up in her head by her Nana on romance and nostalgic things. (laughs) How many of you guys have a favorite shirt? And your wife has gone to throw away that shirt and you've dug into the garbage. You've gotten into the Goodwill bag. And you, I search the Goodwill bags now before they go to make sure that my favorite jersey or my favorite shirt is not there. Why? I have sentimental feelings. 
Now, thought and reason would say, throw it away. It's got holes, it's faded, it's nasty, and it's old. I finally bought me a tub with a lid on it, and I've got my old football jersey from high school. I've got baseball and basketball. I had to cram it all in there and basically hide it (laughs) with notes all over. Stay out. Goodwill bags, stay away. Why? I have a sentimental feeling toward that. How many of you have ever had a sentimental feeling toward a car? Makes no reason to drive the car that you're driving. It's old. Sometimes it, the wheels are flapping a little bit. But, oh, this is the car that I learned to drive in. Or this happened. And there's an attachment, an emotional attachment to that car. Now, a dangerous understanding. Cynicism is often a fruit of disillusioned sentimentality. We are in a very cynical, cynical culture. And not only are we in a cynical culture, but I'm learning more and more about the cynical nature of the believer. And we're at a time in the history of the church of Jesus Christ But as God begins to pour out His Spirit, we're going to have to be very careful about the cynical nature that's within us. Last Sunday morning on the south side, God, I'd walked from here and I came from this service, walked in to the service over there. It was a lot bigger crowd last Sunday than I expected and pretty fairly full. And I walked in and the minute I walked in, I thought, ooh, ick, what is that? And there was just a nasty religious spirit in that in that place i went right to the elders i said what did you do this is bad and before i even went up front did any worship i went right to them and said what is that and one of the elders goes it's right over there and there's the guy and sure enough there was a guy visiting and he's there and after service one of the elders confronted him and said you know come to find out He says, I'm disgusted the fact that you people dance. I'm disgusted at your worship. He says, this isn't in the Bible. And there was just such a cynical thought process. It wasn't that he... And so the elder was very careful, brought out the Bible and says, well, David danced. Well, that's Old Testament. Well, in Luke 15, it tells us that, that the father encouraged... When the prodigal came home, he says, let us dance and make merry for my son who is dead is now alive. That's kind of New Testament. But see, it wasn't based on fact, on reason or thought, but the guy's feelings were dead. And when your feelings are dead, you become cynical. So what is the church going to do in the coming months And weeks ahead, when the Holy Spirit starts showing up to some of you in a very private yet very vivid fashion and begins to rock your world, either privately or publicly in church, you're going to be faced with this understanding. Am I going to be cynical and sentimental or I'm going to put reason and thought into what God is doing? I believe that true moves of the Holy Spirit are because people interact with the truth. And how many of you know, you'll know the truth and it sets you free. Now, there are three aspects of sentimentality that we're going to deal with in the next few weeks. I'm just going to, we're going to work a little bit here in the next 10, 15 minutes on this. 
But number one, sentimentality denies, evades, or trivializes evil. It denies it, it evades it, or trivializes the evil that's in the world. And I see this all the time. We'll we'll get to that. Number two, it centers on self-referential emotion. It means I I, I have this, this selfish emotion in me that I really, if I do something, I will feel good about doing it. And number three, it resists any appropriate, costly action into the world. Now, denial, the absence of honesty. Some of you are not going to like this as you're listening or hearing here today, but we're going to go for truth. How's that? It denies or evades or trivializes evil. I I find it amazing to me, and I do a lot of reading in, in a lot of different areas, and I love, one of my favorite pastimes to do is because I'm usually stuck in a mall this time of year because I'm the chauffeur, um, but I don't mind it because I get to go sit on a bench and I get to watch people. I, I could watch people all day long. I love go. I love at the airport. I don't have to be reading anything. I'm just watching. I can spot a preacher 20 yards off. I, I can spot a nagging wife 20 yards off. I, I mean, I'll lean over to her and I said, I'll bet that lady's got this, this, and this problem. And sure enough, you get on the plane and you hear about it. You know, so I love watching people because people are fascinating. They are, they are, they're, they're, there's just an amazement about the creation that God is. And it's amazing how I hear people, and, and you get amongst the 20-somethings, you really hear this, how in so many ways evil has been trivialized in our culture. Instead, it's been replaced with, and I've heard this so many times in the church, And I looked it up. I've gone to every concordance I can find and don't find the word nice in the Bible. You know what? We are preoccupied with niceness in our culture. We're preoccupied with warmth and comfort and peace of mind. We like niceness. And every once in a while, you hear somebody go, man, you just need to be nice. No, I need to be truthful. Kindness is in the Scripture. But niceness isn't. Sometimes kindness can take a tone that is not nice. If you're walking across the crosswalk, And a semi-truck is barreling down on you. Do you want me to be nice? Or do you want me to tell you the truth? Do you want me to be quiet and nice? Or do you want me to be kind enough to go and shove you out of the way of the oncoming danger that is there? And yet the church of Jesus Christ in this culture is constantly trying to be nice instead of being truthful. We have a sentimentality of being nice. Have you been to that church? Oh, those were the nicest people. I don't want our church to be known as nice. I want our church to be known as loving, kind, overcoming, overwhelming, loving Jesus, 
expanding on the life of Christ in us. When Jesus speaks to us, the Bible says His words should be to us as spirit and life. Something comes alive in us. But I don't want people to say, well, that's true life. That's a nice church. Wow, that's a nice church. I went there during on, the, on their merge service on the 20th. And it was such a nice church. Friends, I'd rather have people leave mad from what they've heard than to leave going, man, that was nice. Because nice doesn't save. And we've given people a picture of a Jesus that is going to be so opposite of who they see coming and who they are going to be in. See, the whole world is going to be interacting more and more with Jesus and the Holy Spirit as time marches on. You're not going to be able to be uh, to avoid it. I, 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 uh, my one hobby is, is it's over for the year, but every year in the fall, I, I am a football addict and I'm attached to a certain team, and so I go to all the home games and have season tickets. But one thing I've noticed in the last three or four years that has become a huge deal, and I do believe it's the influence of, of, of churches on the, on the UW campus, but I'm noticing more and more players gathering together in a corner of the stadium, praying together. You hear more Christian music coming over the pregame stuff. I mean, it's mingled with some pretty nasty stuff. But you, you, you find this constant clash now, this constant introduction of the holy and the evil that's out there. And we cannot trivialize evil by, going, well, the best way to overcome evil is niceness. Preoccupation with warmth and comfort. Pastor, we want a, a comforting word. Well, I love to be comforted just like anybody else. I love comfort foods. I think mashed potatoes and gravy are, 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 are a staple. I, I, just, I think pie is something that, that, is a, that brings comfort to me. Uh, warm hot chocolate pudding uh, in a big bowl with a spoon and marshmallows. That's comforting, but it's not always good for me. It's nice. It's, but it doesn't change things, does it? Sentimentality usually dwells in the area of unrealistic and happy endings. <laughs> I, I'm wore out with Hollywood's happy endings. I really like the movies where the good guy gets killed. <laughs> you know, it's just, that's reality. This vision of life amounts to not facing or dealing with the brokenness that's in myself, my neighbor, or the world. You know, you, 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 it's amazing to me. You'll see, you'll see a, a, a shooting or something take place in our city, and they'll interview the neighbors. And I guess, I, I'm just waiting for some neighbor to tell the truth. Yeah, I thought the guy was kind of nuts. But instead you'll hear, wow, I, we didn't see that coming. Really? You didn't see that coming? Oh, no. I mean, he was really, and here he goes, a nice guy. We trivialize the evil. It is a deep self-deception. We live in a generation, my generation actually, was the first one to be touched by it. 
In fact, you could almost say, and it's been generation after generation after generation, but I remember as a little guy when I first heard the cricket sing it. It became the theme song for the next half century or more. When you wish upon a star, makes no difference who you are. Anything your heart's desires will come to you. You go, wow, that's Disney, man. What's wrong with Disney? Let me keep reading. This is the song. If your heart is in your dream, no request is too extreme. When you wish upon a star as dreamers do, fate is kind. She brings to those who love the sweet fulfillment of their secret longing. I tell you what, some of you don't need your secret longing coming to fulfillment. But it's nice. Like a bolt out of the blue, faith steps in and sees you through. Get it? When you wish upon a star, your dreams come true. That's where I see the church right now. Here's the church. They're in Luke. And they're they're with the people in Luke, with the wise men. We have seen your star in the east. The star was nothing more than a locator of where Jesus was. But we fixate more on the star than we do on the Savior. And so we're wishing upon the location. We're, you know what? I, I have more people and, I, and I'm really becoming alerted to it in my spirit, in my own prayers. We, our prayers have become almost like wishing instead of authority into the realm of the spiritual. Because we live sentimentally. We live with a sentimentality of niceness and preoccupation with warmth. How about this? Jesus said, the kingdom suffers violence and the violent take it by force. This time of year, everybody's wishing upon a star and there's sentimental choices that are being made. Instead of being honest about their budget, they'll charge up thousands of dollars to buy toys because we've got to make wishes come true. Let me tell you something. I've never had a wish, but I have had desires. And when they're godly desires, the Scripture says that He will give me the desires of my heart. There are some things I've asked for in prayer that I'm very thankful He never answered. And yet we have a church today that sentimentally comes and evil is drowned out or eclipsed by by entertainment, by distractions. And you can see the confusion that will come immediately at this time of year when Jesus is, is, is put out as the baby, the sentimental favorite. It's amazing that we celebrate it that way because when they have my birthday now, after all these many decades, they don't celebrate my being a baby. I mean, I, I love that Ellie is, we're going to have her first birthday on February the 15th. But there's going to come a day 20 years from now that we're not going to treat her as a baby. She'll be full grown. 
And yet the church, in its sentimentality and its sharing the good news of Jesus Christ, the next two or three weeks will not present the Christ that is coming, but will present the sentimental choice and favorite. I think we need to look at that very, very, very carefully. Denial is the absence of honesty. The second pitfall of sentimentality is a little harder to understand and grasp. It's that issue of of love and acceptance. It's the issue of emotion. Let me give you an example. (laughs) I find this so prevalent in our culture of people loving a person not for who they are, but for the way that person makes them feel about themselves. Do you know how many disasters were started with that whole idea? It's not loving the person for who they are, but I'm going to love you because you do something for me. Now translate that in to the Christian life. We've got thousands and millions of people that have walked an aisle in a stadium or in a church or somewhere and they've knelt and they've said, Jesus, come into my heart because the message that was preached to them, now listen church, I'm going to mess things up the next few weeks. The message that was preached to them was come to Jesus and your life will be better. That is an absolute lie. Does my life get better? Yes, because He's in me. But does it become a struggle? Absolutely. Because now, light and darkness are really going at it. And I've invited the Prince of Peace, the light of the world, into my life. And that darkness is fighting against it all the time. Paul would write in Romans 8, he says, My flesh wars against the Spirit. They're a constant struggle with each other. And you know what I see people do? They come to Jesus, they go for about six months, and the phone rings. And they say, what is going on? My life stinks worse than it did when I came to Jesus. Why? We gave them sentimentality instead of truth. We gave them this idea of a nice Jesus. Let me tell you something. When Jesus comes in your life, you will not be at peace again as long as you walk in the flesh. say, what do you mean? I thought He came to bring peace. Yeah, He did. But He's a peace maker, not a peacekeeper. And a peacemaker comes in and he takes over. He says, enough, I'm shutting you down. Flesh, you're done. And I will fight you until I have control over you. I am a conquering Jesus. I am a Jesus that overcomes. And flesh, look out. And see, we invite Jesus into our heart with all the innocence of sentimental, you know, I, oh, I've had a vision of the cross. Really? Well, the cross is coming to your life. In fact, it is so unsentimental that Jesus turns to 12 guys that are following him around and says, listen, you're going to follow me? You're going to take up your cross and you're going to deny yourself? Whoa, 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 Jesus, wait, 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 wait. What about when I wish upon a star? What about everything my heart's desire will come true. Jesus said, thank God they're not coming true. Peter, you've already got problems. And John, you've got to knock it off. And Simon that, and Andrew, that's got to stop. And so guys, if you're going to follow me, you're going to deny yourself. You're going to take up your cross. and you're going to... You don't hear that anymore in a Christmas message. Here, oh, come see the baby Jesus. 
And we usually, you know, we'll do a, I don't know what our Christmas program is this year. I love the Christmas program because kids are unpredictable and, you know, but usually if they have a live Jesus, it's some overweight little baby, you know, and he's there, you know, and, oh, I think you, oh, yeah, you're cute. And God's going, that's not what my son looked like. It's like being in love with love. Yeah, you ever met people? I, 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 see, I'm used to this stuff because I raise girls. Oh, Dad, did you watch that movie? It was so. And you start watching the movie with him, going, "This is stupid. Why did they waste the time to film this? Oh, but they're so in love. What?" That guy needs to be shot. And this, we should blow something up over here. You know what the deal is? They're in love with being in love. You know how many relationships I've watched where people were in love with being in love and they married the wrong person? And if you, we've been there. We've come to a couple of them and said, you know, uh, as a pastor, I just got to tell you, I'm a butt in here, but you're making the big mistake. Oh, no. We're in love. Really? Two years later. Ah, boy, I wish I had listened to you because they were in love with the idea of being in love. And so you got a church that's in love with the idea of being in love with Jesus. And when Jesus says, okay, I'm glad you love me. I want all of you. Huh? Yeah, I want your time. I want your money. I want your life. Um, That's not very nice. And Jesus in his love to us says, I didn't come to be nice. I came to be your Lord and Savior. In fact, check this out. On my thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And of my kingdom, there will be no end. And in order to keep it that way, I'm not going to be nice. I'm going to be fierce. I'm going to be a warrior. And I'm going to be a king. Changes how we deal with things. You know, love sometimes has little to do with the other person. When you're in love with being in love, anybody can take your place. I'm thoroughly convinced that's why eHarmony.com does so well. Because people are in love with being... You know what? If you went up to eHarmony.com person and said, is that God's will for your life? Oh, yeah, we answered all 29 aspects of personality. We just match up. But is that God's will? Well, they're nice. Really? They're nice. And we're just compatible. No, that's love, being in love with love. You can understand in a sentimental world why lifelong commitments and relationships and friendships are constantly at risk. Because let one of the people that you're in love with, being in love with, not be nice anymore, and you've got a problem. I love it. Premarital counseling. You're dealing with the couple. And you tell the guy, inevitably, dude, you're going to wake up one morning and you're going to scream. You're going, wow, what is that? And you're going to be going along and you're going to come home from work and you're going to walk in 
and it's a beautiful summer day out, and you're going to walk in and your house is going to be icy cold because of the stairs coming out of the wife's eyes. And you'll go, what did I do wrong? She says, you took out the garbage. Well, you told me to. That's right. I shouldn't have had to tell you. <laughs> See, at that point, we tell, we tell people after 30-some years of marriage, you better not be in love with love. You better be in love with Jesus or you're not going to make it. I love you just the way you are. Empathy. The third aspect of sentimentality that we're going to close with today is sentimentality is not so much empathy for other people and their joy or pain, but involvement in their lives for the experience of my own feelings about them. Have you ever wondered why TV reality shows are so popular today? I mean, there's hundreds of them out there now, you know. And uh, yeah, I'll hear somebody ask, "Are you, do, you know, do you watch this reality show?" I don't know. I, 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 I've got enough problems of my own. Why do I want to watch, you know, John and Kate or whoever they are and their divorce and all the? Why do I care? But you know why people focus in on that? You know why they're so popular? Because people can vicariously live their life through others. They can be involved in people's lives, experience joy and pain without having to put anything out to do it. great example is you, you sit, and I, I'm in the process of taking, we've got a, a lot of 20-somethings on Tuesday night. And we're getting, we're, this, this spring, we're going to launch a, a ministry to, the, to that age group. And uh, so I'm in the process. I've been sitting down and taking a lot of them to lunch. And the first thing I've understood is that right up front, we're going to have to do a lot of teaching on truth. Because, they're, they're, wow, Pastor, there's a lot of injustice in this city and we need to get down and take care of the homeless and we need to do this, this, and this. And till I drag them outside of Cole's complex to the homeless people that are sleeping on the sidewalk and I hear this, oh, ick. Really? You see, there's a lot of people who get angry at the injustice of the world. Now hear me. You'll hear presidents, senators, congressmen, whatever, get angry at the injustice of the world, but ask them to do something that will cost them something to fix it, and it won't happen. Why? Because the injustice is a sentimental choice. It says, yeah, I'm angry about it. Well, good. Give me your wallet. In fact, since you in Congress are so angry about the health care in our nation and whether elder, let's just not pay you for the next four years. Yeah. And take the money and give it to people. You see, you're not, that's not going to happen. Right. You know why? Because the anger is sentimental. We're angry at being angry because being angry makes me feel good that at least I'm angry. But it never fixes anything. And I see it in the church. Oh yeah, we are upset that Portland, Oregon, and Vancouver, and both sides, friends, I don't care where you come from, if you're in Vancouver, don't get puffed up about being conservative because there's some nasty stuff over here. If you're in Portland, you better get on your face. 
Because we got issues coming down in our city that very well are going to destroy our city for not too much longer. Here's the deal. We can get angry about it and empathize with it and do nothing and yet feel good because, well, we said something about it. It's been several years ago. We had... uh, There was a family that lived across the street from us. Four little kids. And uh, my wife began to just inside, began to just really have a burden for those little kids. It got to the point where it wasn't just enough to wave to them. And we we could hear, there were days we could hear their father. There was no mother in the home. We could hear the dad just screaming at these kids and just belittling these kids. It was horrible. And there was a couple of times I stood out in my driveway and just my fists were clenched thinking, dude, if you walk out here right now, I'm going to send you home to meet your maker. Talking to a kid like that just irritates me. But my wife was the one that got angry enough to do something. She started a little Bible study in our home and the kids started coming over. And we had a Bible club. Well, the little girl's name, the little girl in the house, her name was Vanessa. One week, Vanessa came to our Bible study. And, and the, you got to understand something. We were, by this time, we were giving these kids clothes, food. If those kids, you know, I'd have the oldest one come and work in my yard and, and he wouldn't hardly do anything, but I'd make sure I gave him 20, 40 bucks. We'd feed, oh man, here's cookies. We constantly, tangible, not just Oh, it feels good to worry about them. No, tangible stuff. Here's the difference. One day in the Bible study, Vanessa raised her hand and says, I want Jesus to come into my heart. You understand, they're under heavy Mormon influence. They've got an aunt who's, who's the dad's sister, heavily Mormon. The Mormon influence is there and the kids are being drugged off to Mormon church on Sunday a lot of the time and yet they're hearing the true gospel every week. Well, one Wednesday night, came home from church, one Wednesday night, pulled around our street heading to my driveway and there was barriers and police everywhere. Told the cop, that's my house, I need to get to it. He says, well, you can park your car here, but you're not driving your car in. I said, sir, what's going on? He says, there's been a murder. I said, what? Who? He says, you know the little girl that lives over there, the eight-year-old? Yeah. Her 30-year-old brother stabbed her to death this evening. Four days before, Vanessa had given her life to Jesus Christ. It got onto the radio stations. Lars Larson, how many of you heard of him? He's raging on the radio, nitwit. He's raging on the radio about how, what's wrong with the neighbors? How come they couldn't see anything going? And one of our, our daughter, Jennifer, picked up the phone and called Lars Larson and said, Sir, live radio, sir, there's a couple that lives across the street that have been feeding, clothing, and telling those kids on a weekly basis about the love of Jesus. It changed Lars Larson's tune immediately because he was being very accusatory of the neighbors. If you heard the guy yelling, why didn't you do anything? We had done a lot of things. We'd talked to policemen. We'd done everything we could. 
But you see, the sentimental choice would have been, yeah, it's rough over there. Boy, I hope it gets fixed. Something bad's going to happen. But instead, if you involve yourself, that's not being sentimental. That's being Christ-like. But the church is sentimental today. And I don't mean to demean anything, but I thought it was great, the Thanksgiving boxes that we sent out. That's great. But I want you to know something. That's not enough. What's great about it is there are families that we do not come to the church on the south side that we'll go into this time of year, feed, clothe us. We, when she was working the school, we'd take whole families and we just didn't bring them presents. We'd sit in the home. I usually had to take an interpreter because they didn't speak English. But you know what? The personal contact was what was needed. Empathy. My anger may actually be driven more by my approval of myself for having these strong feelings of righteous indignation than it is by my actual care of the victims of injustice. Is it possible to feel passionately but with little sense of the other person? Yeah. (laughs) I'll close with this. It's usually about our own faith and emotions in crisis. And I, I, I've, I've always dealt with this. I thought it was, this was hilarious. Someone dies and you do the funeral. You go to, you know, they have the dinner afterwards. You know, never understood that, but right, whatever. You know, go to a funeral and eat. That's all you know, you know, whatever. Someone dies and you go to that dinner. And you've always got a certain amount of people that don't want to talk about the person they want to instead focus on how the person's death made them feel. You ever wonder about that? Yeah, it made me just... It, do you see how close that person was to me? I mean, they met him three times. They're just really close to me. You know what they're wanting? Have empathy with me. i got some feelings here that I want to trot out. That's... Why Jesus made this comment, and I always thought when I every time I read, it, I thought, "Man, Jesus, what was your attitude on this day?" Because he tells the guy, he "says Let's go, follow me." And the guy says, "I can't because I gotta go bury a loved one." And Jesus turns to him and says some of the the roughest words I've ever heard a pastor say: "Let the dead bury the dead. Let's get going, guy." You ever think about that? Whoa, Jesus, what are you, I, I mean, I read that and I'm calling time out in my spirit. Jesus, whoa, 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 at least go to the funeral. You know, Lazarus dies. Then Jesus weeps and then gets mad. You ever notice that? They're, they're bugging Jesus, Lazarus dead. Yeah, whatever, we got, we got things. No, Jesus, Mary and Martha, they're waiting for you. Lazarus is dead, D-O-A. And the Bible says that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. You know what he was troubled about? He was troubled about the fact that you're sentimental about Lazarus being died, but you haven't yet seen who I am. And he walks onto the scene. And everybody says, well, oh, look at him. He's crying over Lazarus. No, he wasn't. He was crying over the fact that people had yet to hear him say what he really was saying. as this, tear this temple down in three days I'm going to raise it up again. They did not hear what he said in Luke 4. Verse 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And you go through that whole thing. And he begins, and by the time he's done with that reading, they want to push him off a cliff. Why? 
because they wanted a sentimental savior that would be go along with whatever feelings they were having instead of understanding this Jesus is the real deal. And he goes and he stands in front of Lazarus' tomb and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And he turns to the rest of them and says, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not some sentimental choice that you've made, but I'm the real deal. I want to challenge you in this coming... Karen, is Karen here? She's not here. There she is. Come finalize this. I want to challenge you as you're out shopping and doing your thing and getting ready for Christmas and tra-la-la-la-fa-la-la-la-la and decking the halls and, and, and whatever else that goes on and, and you know, and... And, and getting your picture with Santa, which, by the way, all the letters of Satan are there. Anyway, but I just couldn't resist getting your picture with Santa and, and, and one of his doofy elves and whatever. And you're doing all the holiday stuff that's fun. It's magic. It's wonderful. I like it. I, 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 I tell you what, having grandkids in Christmas is just awesome. Malachi was about, I think he was just three years old. And he was just absolutely enamored with Buzz Lightyear and Woody. I remember Buzz Lightyear and Woody. Remember Toy Story? I mean, his whole life was Buzz Lightyear this, Woody that. And he could barely talk. He was maybe two. He was just barely talking. And we'd got him these huge Buzz Lightyears. And, and for some reason, and they talked, you know. And there's two packages. And he'd been rummaging around under the tree. And Buzz Lightyear's in the box and talks. And he stands there and goes, Yeah, it's Buzz. He speaks. And I don't remember how he went on. Yeah, Buzz is in my present, he says. Buzz Lightyear's in my present. It's in my present. Papa, Buzz is in there. I love that time of year. I love watching those little guys. He, he, he's into Malachi is at the top of his game when he's in flannel pajamas and slippers I mean you go over the house during the day you'll know when he's having a downtime. he's just relaxing because he'll have fuzzy pajamas on and he likes the feel of them so every Christmas he makes sure Nana knows I need some new fuzzies that's great stuff But you need to understand something. God did not make a sentimental choice when He sent His Son. He made a choice based on the truth that blood was going to have to flow for the remission of my sin. And all through the Scripture, He'd been telling us and pointing us to the fact that a lamb had to be slain. And all Christmas is, friends, it's not the sentimental choice of God. It's the truth of God into a culture that is broken and fallen. It's the truth of a man by the name of John who stands on the riverbank one day and sees Jesus afar off and says, Behold, 
the Christmas favorite. No, he didn't say that. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. What was he saying? He's here right now, but he's going to be sacrificed. Because all you Jews know, you understand, that in order for sins to be taken care of, a lamb has to die, and his blood has to be shed on the altar. And there he is. It wasn't a sentimental thing. The day that he knelt that afternoon in the Garden of Gethsemane, King dark and heading toward evening and he's praying and his guys, his faithful, sentimental followers had fallen asleep. They were the most sentimental, sappy guys. They could get themselves in big trouble. They're asleep and the truth is saying this. Father, not my will but thine be done. Oh, I love Christmas. But as the years go by and as history is literally changing in front of my eyes, we're living now in a world and in a nation, friends, that is rapidly changing. America, as you know it, will not come back. Oh, there's going to be revivals in our lands, but politically, it's not going to be back, friends, for a long, long time. You know why? The church has been too sentimental. We turned our backs upon 40 million babies and never said anything because we wanted to be nice. We turned our back and said, oh, it's too bad that that person decided to be homosexual and they're broken and they're hurting. We were too nice. Oh, it's so sad that divorce, one out of every two marriages is ending in divorce. And we got to be careful what we say. We wanted to be nice. And we've chosen the way of sentimentality instead of the way of truth. Because Jesus would declare, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. And by the way, guys, you're not getting to the Father unless you come through me. That's not sentimental, friends. And yet the sentimental church in America stands and says, well, we need to, we need to fast with our Islamic brothers. They're not my brothers. We need to be careful with our Buddhist brothers. They're not my brothers. They're not related to me in Jesus. There's one God, one Christ, one Lord, one baptism, one faith. That's it. And yet the sentimental church is afraid today to stand up and say, this is the way. Walk in it. Oh, we want prophetic words. We want all the stuff. But we want it sentimental. One of the discussions that's been going on in your eldership Bob will verify this for the last two, three months is we're literally going through the gifts of prophecy and how they operate in the church. Because, friends, I'm tired of hearing the sappiness that comes sometimes through prophetic utterances when the person receiving the prophetic utterance needs to be told, stop your sinning. But the person that's being prayed for needs to be told, you need to get out of that adulterous relationship before you can be healed. You need to stop the fornication before you can be healed. You need to stop ripping God off and not paying your tithe before you can be healed. But the sentimental is, bless them. No. Tell them the truth. Have the kindness, the loving kindness and the endurance of a believer to tell the truth. 
the Jesus that is about to move in his church. I'm telling you, the next move of God is going to be almost seemingly violent in what it does because God is coming to deliver his church. He's going to get a generation ready to conquer and to overcome, but he's got to get the sin out. And it's not going to be a sentimental revival. It's not going to be the revival that your mom and daddy had. It's going to be one that's going to rock us to the core. The Jesus that we worship is no longer in a manger. He's not in a tomb. He's not carrying sheep around with a staff. The Bible tells me that at this moment, he's seated at the right hand of God. Scars, crown of thorns and all. And he's making intercession for us. What is he praying for us? He's praying not that things would turn out nice. He's praying, let them come into a major maturity in my life. I want them to be like me. I want to get them ready for what I'm about to do. Because I'm about to get out of this chair. I'm telling you, I sense in my spirit, very soon we're going to sense in the spirit world, Jesus standing up. And friends, the minute he stands up and changes his position in the heavenlies, look out. Because... The nice little Jesus that the church has concocted for this world. The world is going to be absolutely, and the church is going to be absolutely offended at what's going to come down the next 20 years. And this Christmas season, when you gather your family together, every year it's a great time at our house. Our little house gets packed with kids, and we never do Christmas without 42 extra people around, you know. And, and But here's the deal. When you do Christmas this year, Don't forget, He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the righteous God. Let's stand this morning.